collagen. Welcome back to Upon Further Review with your host, Josh Norman on WJQS The Fan. Welcome back. Upon further review, we're in the Garner Dental Group studios, and we are brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. www.bcbs, excuse me, bcbsms.com. There I go again, Bill. I I, I get tongue-tied on these sponsors for some reason. Leaving um, out letters, mispronouncing names. We are uh, once again joined by John Weaver, and we've got a lot to cover in this segment with John. He's He's got his hands on a lot of things at MRA Athletics as well as a podcast that he does. And, John, I want to start there. You do a podcast on culture. Culture is something that we talk about over and over and over on this show. Tell us about the podcast, uh, what you, what, you know, kind of what you cover there, where people can find it. Yeah. Uh, so it's called The Culture Classroom. Uh, it was John Torrey from Dennis and I and I are, are good friends, and, and we started up this podcast three years ago. And, knew that there was a need for, for content, not just X's and O's, because there's coaching coordinator, there's all these, you know, you can get X's and O's anywhere, I think. And we said, how do we dive into the mental aspect of the game? So we, we call coaches, interview coaches, and we, we talk about the culture of their program, what sets them apart, what makes their organization elite uh, and different. And, uh, man, we've we've been blessed. A lot of people like to listen to us over two and a half years, one a year, three, we're over 50,000 downloads on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and, uh, SoundCloud is where you can find us. And uh, it's just the culture classroom. And, uh, we sometimes go on there. We have four or five minute podcasts, like we call them mini, mini pods. And then we have longer ones, uh, like with Angus Reed, who played in CFL, Tim Kite, Brian Kite, uh, Damon West, the coffee bean. He's been one of our guests, uh, on there. So, it gets crazy during football season, so we, we do a lot of stuff. Uh, Sam Williams at Brandon yeah. High School has been on yeah. as well. So just doing some fun things with that. Um, they're, they're broken up into many episodes, like eight eight uh, podcasts per episode or season. Like mm-hmm. Season one, there's only eight. So it doesn't overwhelm you, like, where do I need to start? Because sometimes people put number one, episode one, and they put episode number 354, and you're like, ooh, yeah. what, what have I missed? Yeah. So we just broke it up into seasons. But John Torrey and I do that, and, man, it's – we're going to keep doing it as long as keep people keep listening. I guess if they don't listen, we'll, we'll still keep doing it. <laughs> hey, it's like me. I do the radio show. I don't care if you listen or not. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I do. I, I love it, and I love the feedback that I get, and uh, so thankful for all of you out there that are listening. Um, so, so what are one or two things that you found in that two and a half or three years about culture that have set these programs apart? Well, the first thing, and I love your first segment of opening up with that, um, about youth sports, but a lot of times I think coaches can can surrender the outcome, and that in today's society that is tough, right? And this win loss, people are going to fire me because I lose or this or, you know, the winning part. I think that's a byproduct of what are you doing inside of your program, and whether you're a coach or you're a CEO of an organization, what you do inside of that organization helps you. So surrender the outcome. If it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars that you're trying to raise on a fundraiser, surrender that outcome of that goal and just go raise it. Mm. If you're trying to win a state championship into the year, well, look, begin with the end in mind, obviously, but look, surrender the outcome, and that's yeah. hard for a bunch of coaches. The other thing, and this stuck out uh, when we interviewed Angus Reed, who played in the CFL, mm-hmm. um, he, he had a coach that always asked him, we, and, and as coaches, if you're listening, we always tell kids how good we need them to be. Mm-hmm. We never ask them how good do they want to be. Mm. And I thought that was powerful going into – a season of, of, of 
you know, just this year of like, hey, I've never really asked a kid how good does he want to be. Yeah. And that doesn't say, hey, I'm going to push this kid less or more. Mm. But when you look at it, ask the kid how good. Maybe he doesn't want to be going to college and playing ball. Maybe he just wanted to be like Kennedy and run to make her parents happy yeah. and smile. Yeah. So that's that's two of the biggest takeaways. Surrender the outcome and asking kids how good do they want to be and then go off of that. That's powerful. Uh, let's talk a little uh, a little track, and then we'll get into some football. Uh, you took over that MRA track program, and and it was it, you know look we can just say how it was not uh, a highly recognized track program. You have built that program. Uh, I have watched a very well run. We talked about this on the break track program when I was the athletic director at PCS, and Joey Hawkins was absolutely phenomenal at running a track program. Yeah. Uh, talk about the difficulty of that. What is important, and, and more importantly, you're just trying to get kids out to run, and in today's world of electronics, that can't be easy. Right, and we're, we're every well, our our sport is uh, everybody else's punishment, right? Yeah, exactly. So you know, it was kind of crazy. So I'm gonna make this really brief. But I was at Porter's Chapel, got the job um, when Forrest Williams was the head coach, yeah, to be the OC, and he's like, "Hey, they need a track coach as well." And I go in the interview, and they're like, "I thought this was gonna be about being the OC of the football team," and it's Tommy Thompson saying. What's your favorite event in track? Obvious answer. I was a pole vault. I was a pole vaulter in high school and college. I was like pole vault. He goes, tell me something other besides that. I was like, ooh. So I got grilled for an hour and a half, and I was like, well, how good has the program been? And they, they've been good, but like you said, they've struggled to get kids out. And uh, I was scared when I took the job. I was like, my wife even said she goes, they expect to win. I was like, I know. She <laughs> goes, they've never won. I was like, I know. So 2015 happened, or. The first season happens, and we finish fifth in the state behind Mag Heights. And I was like, ooh. Like, we can get better, Coach Deweese. And he's like, well, all right. Next year we get fourth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The third year is when it kind of started getting kids out and being in the PE department, seeing what kids can do, how, how, how they can jump, how fast can they run. You start timing them. Third year we, we win the North for the first time and I don't know – I don't know. Didn't keep up with it. I yeah. just knew that we never won uh, a state title. And then we finished runner-up in the state. And then 2015 happens, and, and we were blessed with some really, really talented baseball players that are Ben Milam, Colin Hurt, yeah. that were really fast. And uh, I don't want to say you make deals with those guys, but you make deals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're you like, you hey, do. I need you here. And we, I remember being at a meet, and he's like, uh, Ben go, and Ben won the 100 and the 200 um, that year, and uh, Colin finished second. In both of those, and they're like, "Hey, coach, I got to go take uh, some hit, like take some cuts." Mm. I was like, "We're at a track meet." He goes, "It'll take twenty minutes." I'm like, "Deal, go, <laughs> be back." So they would come and train, and and it's a little bit easier to train sprinters, right? You know, because I mean, God bless you with speed, right? But uh, we put it all together, and man, we we won the first one in 2015, 2016. Uh, Harper Hudnall mm. hurt his hamstrings. We should have won that one. Mm. Um, we we lose by seven and he doesn't run the one ten or the four hundred. If he does that, we probably possibly win that one. Uh, Twenty seventeen, we win the division one when they had that division one mm. overall stuff. Twenty eighteen, uh, the cool thing about twenty seventeen was we weren't like I literally told those guys was like guys don't expect to win. Mm. This was this was one of those surrender the outcome moments right. before I even knew about that. Right. And uh, twenty seventeen we win it. Twenty eighteen rebuilding. That's when Joey had his. Farewell, and he kicked everybody's bottom. You yeah, know, yeah. see y'all, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, 2019, we won it. 
2020 COVID won it, and then 2021 uh, we won again. So yeah. a little funny thing I tell our coaches now and our kids is like, hey, it's going to be 2022. If you follow that, like we only win on the odd year, so don't expect us to win <laughs> us this year. So 15, 17, 19, 21. So, uh, but it's it's fun. And, you know, getting kids out, Josh, is the fun part. Yeah. We, we, I told you during the break, we had a kid that, you know, Ray Vinson, who's going to be a superstar at Ole Miss, yeah. uh, hurt his quad and his hamstring. You know, his hamstring was kind of twin, and, and he pulled him. And I was like, look, man, just go, go do your thing. Mm-hmm. And we had to find a high jumper in a week and a half. And we did. And, you know, it's belie- getting those kids to believe. And you're not That's selling right. them pipe dreams, but you're selling them like, hey, I think you could be good at this. Yeah. And you teach them the skill, and then they end up enjoying it. And, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I loved it. I had a coach ask me in seventh grade, have you ever pole vaulted? I was like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want you to be at the high school with Coach Graham at 2.30. Sure. That's awesome. All right, so so built a very successful track program. We got a couple minutes here, and I want to get to some football. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, – Big time schedule coming up. What what do we expect out of MRA football this year? They're gonna have to come and watch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. It's uh, you know, we're gonna have uh, a new quarterback, yeah, uh, and then uh, the, the veterans of the receivers, and that's who I coach. And I, you know, I'm blessed to have Jacob Land with me this year to help with those receivers. But we're gonna have uh, some fun. That's awesome. Hey, we're gonna have John back on to specifically talk about some football. Uh, I want to talk about his receivers, what he does with those receivers, because there are things that set him and that program apart. That does it for this segment, though. We've got more to come. Next segment, Michael uh, Michael Vickers joins us to talk about rule changes, high school football, and some other things. You won't want to miss that. Don't go anywhere. More upon further review right after this. Welcome back to Upon Further Review with Josh Dorman. Call us on our caller line at 601-366-1180. Welcome back in Upon Further Review. I am Josh Dorman. Thank you for joining us. 106.3 FM here in the Jackson Market, WJQSTheFan.com, online, iHeartRadio app, radio.com, or the TuneIn app radio app wherever you are we appreciate you joining us however you're joining us that was where uh those last two segments were first class kennedy sanders what an unbelievable interview that young lady was a world-class athlete that we're going to continue to watch but more importantly a world-class person and uh, what a phenomenal ambassador for mra athletics john weaver does a great job we're going to have him back on uh we didn't get to a lot of football talk with him and we're going to have him back on to talk football um here in in early august uh we're going to look at august the 10th so that we can hear about what's going on over there they've got a big time schedule they've scheduled uh, uh lake pulaski out of arkansas they've scheduled uh oak uh i think it's oakmont out of tennessee uh two big time uh programs top 100 and uh um that was uh a, just a terrific a terrific uh, job that they do over there uh next we've got joining us michael vickers michael is a 22 year veteran uh football official out of the state of louisiana and you say well why why is he out of the state of louisiana well we we wanted to talk honestly and openly and candidly about uh officiating with an official that's not directly involved with mississippi 
uh, Mississippi coaches and athletes so that we could get some honest dialogue with regards to officiating. Um, and so we are grateful. And I, I got to tell you, he just so happens to be an amazing brother-in-law. So, uh, Michael, uh, are you there? I'm here, Josh. Oh, man. Hey, I'm great. Uh, fantastic to have you. We appreciate you joining us. And um, uh, what a fun segment. Michael, there was, uh, there was something that your uh, head of official over there, as you talked to them about coming on the show, wanted you to mention. So let's go ahead and, and start it off by you uh, putting a plug in uh, for not only Louisiana, but Mississippi and, and the officials associations. Yeah, thanks, Josh. You know, uh, now's a great time for everybody to get involved in youth athletics. And what a better way to stay in athletics if you're an old guy like me that you just love football or baseball or whatever we used to play back in the day to stay involved in, in the sport is to be a to be a high school official it is a thankless job and there's no doubt about that but it's a rewarding job because you're making a difference and you're out there you know being involved with the, the local youth and in your local uh, football or baseball association so i'm just going to put a plug in if, if you think this is something that you want to do if you're sitting out in the stands and you're, you're making calls from the stands, what a better way to transition and actually make calls on the field or the diamond uh, if baseball is your sport. So just a little plug for the, for the local Jackson associations of baseball and football. Fantastic. And, you know, it, it, that's a great opportunity, Michael, for you to kind of share what got you into officiating and then what has kept you there now for 22 years uh, as even your own children are now growing up and, starting to participate at the the middle and high school level uh, in athletics and football. What got you started and, and what kept you there? So I started officiating uh, with my dad back in 93. And it really, I was coming out of uh, out of college, right? So I wanted to spend some more time with my dad. I've been gone for a little while, and he was a football official. So I said, you know, I, I played a little ball back in, in the day, and uh, what a good opportunity just to spend time with him. So we were part of the same crew probably for about 15 years. And then, you know, he got up in age and was, was able, was not able to continue. So I kept his crew. So he was the white hat. I was the line judge. Uh, when he retired, I moved up into the white hat. We kept the same crew. So it just kind of kept the legacy alive. Right. Um, but the, the bonds that you build with the local high school coaches and the athletes that you see is something that I, I, I can't even describe, you know, the, the, the individuals that I see. And, you know, I just – I love in that environment. I love giving back to the community. Um, I love the game of football. And so you get to see some fantastic athletes as well. So that's really what kept me here. I'm not going to be doing it as much now because I've got a son that, that plays high school ball. So I'm going to be in the stands throwing flags, you know, from about <laughs> four rows up. Uh, it's the hardest thing in the world, Josh. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, oh, it's, yeah. It's being, being an official, but uh, so it'll be a different perspective. But I'll I'll be able to to chase some games when I can. You you mentioned um, uh, the athletes and and the type of athletes. What's the best athlete that uh, that you've ever watched on a football field? Oh man! So I, I started in '93, and I've seen some phenomenal athletes. You know, I've seen you know Dak Prescott from Halton area, uh, Devin White, former Super Bowl. Winner. He's from uh, Spring Hill, Northwestern area in, in Louisiana. One of the best athletes that I've ever seen. But uh, bar none, the best athlete, a man among boys, was Leonard Fournette. I had the opportunity to do a playoff game in St. Augustine. Uh, his uh, when he graduated his senior year, he stood bigger than everyone. He was 
wider, stronger, faster than anyone on the field. And I could see now why he was the number one, you know, prospect for that time um, coming out of St. Augustine in New Orleans. Man, that's incredible. The best athlete I've ever seen. That's awesome. You know, and I've seen some great quarterbacks. You know, I had the opportunity to see Peyton Manning yeah. uh, in his last year. I saw Eli. I did a game with him. Both of them are in Newman down in New Orleans. Uh, great. You know, they're fantastic quarterbacks. But the interesting thing is, is that when you see these guys, you, you don't really know that they're really that good. You know they're good, but you don't know they're that good until they get into the college mm. and the pro level. Then you can say, hey, look, you know, I saw that guy. You yeah. know, he, he, he threw me the ball. Or he bumped me down, and I fell over, whatever it was. Yeah. You, you kind of have that experience. So yeah. it's interesting to kind of keep track of the athletes that you officiate. Man, that's incredible. All right, so there's one primary rule change. And uh, yes. part of what we, we talked about was, look, you know, we want to, to educate about high school. And one of the things that really is never talked about is just, just officiating and rules. And so uh, what's the primary rule change that's taking place at the high school level with regards to football this year? Yes. So there's only one rule change this year, um, and it has to do with blocking below the waist. But before I get into the actual rule change itself, let me kind of tell you what it used to be to give you some context, right? So uh, blocking below the waist occurs at the line of scrimmage. And there's a free blocking zone, believe it or not. It's a four-yard by three-yard. It kind of encompasses the ball. It basically goes from tackle to tackle, uh, offensive, defensive, tackle to tackle. And inside that zone, uh, before this year, it was legal to block below the waist under two conditions. One, the ball had to be in the zone. So the ball needs to be in the zone. So basically it's, you know, it's at the snap or if you're taking a handoff from the quarterback right there uh, and the ball is in the zone, you can initially block below the waist. And so that was kind of what the, what the rule was. However, throughout the years, we've had problems really enforcing that because the ball goes in and out of the zone so much it's hard for an official to see if the ball was in the zone to actually make that call of a mm. block below the waist. If it's out of the zone, obviously we've got to call a block below the waist. So the rule change this year, uh, what they did is they added uh, one more condition for a block below the waist to be legal. And that addition is that the block has to be immediate. It's an initial action following the snap. So now when the ball is snapped and the, if the, the offensive guard or tackle wants to block below the waist, his initial movement has to be a block below the waist. He can't step back, reset, and then block. He can't engage another player and then engage a second player below the waist and block below the waist. It has to be his initial movement. So now the rule is ball in the zone, right? And the block occurs in the zone on his initial movement. And it helps us as officials really to call that because if the ball is out of the zone, and it wasn't his initial movement, it's a foul, right? Right. So it, it really – and plus it's for safety reasons. We, we I, I've actually saw a kid last year – I'm sorry, the year before last um, – get hit. Uh, the the offensive guard engaged a nose, nose tackle, and then he the offensive guard fell down and then rolled over a defensive tackle. The defensive tackle never saw him, hit him right at the knees, blew his, blew his knee out. Mm. So – it, it, it helps the defense, you know, from a from a standpoint, from a safety perspective, right, that they know at least where the block is coming from. Right. But it also helps us from officiating to help uh, for safety reasons. So, for instance, you know, if, if you're what – you're, what you're describing is you can't come off the line, chip one defensive lineman, and then engage low on another. Uh, that initial movement would have to be uh, below the waist. So that's the rule change. 
And uh, we've got more with Michael Vickards. We're going to talk about maybe the most misinterpreted rules on the football field uh, by us as fans, as well as what's the most difficult call for an official to make and the toughest part of their job. You're listening to Upon Further Review. We're joined by Michael Vickards. He'll be back with us again on the next segment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back in. Upon further review, second hour is upon us. We're in the Garner Dental Group Studios, collection of 18 dental and orthodontic offices, conveniently located across Mississippi. Complimentary whitening for new hygiene patients is available. Check out the interactive map, lakegarnerdentalgroup.com, or call 601-271-8710. You can find one of their five metro locations or others across the state and region. We are once again joined by Michael Vickers, veteran official out of the state of Louisiana. We talked about uh, the only rule change in high school football this year. And uh, so now, Michael, let's let's talk about maybe uh, a couple uh, easily misinterpreted rules by fans. One of the things that you had mentioned is uh, is the blind side block. Why don't you describe why uh, that is that is so misunderstood? Right, so blindside blocks is, is fairly a new rule. Uh, you, we've all seen it right? we, at, at any level, high school, uh, college, or even NFL, right? It's, it, the blindside block is so you have a kickoff, right? Case kicking the ball. Ours, ours, the receiver, he catches the ball. Everybody's running down the field towards the ball, but out of nowhere, see a guy's cleats go flying sky high in the air, right? We've seen those blocks, and you hear the oohs and the ahs from the fans. And so we've implemented the blindside block rule uh, where it used to be that as long as the block was in front of the receiver or, or, the, or the, uh, the defender, rather, the helmet was in front, that's a legal block, even though it, it just looks horrible. So they initiated the blindside block for safety reasons. But the most the misunderstanding about it is, is that you can actually have a block that looks like a blindside block, which is illegal, but it's actually a legal block. And a blindside block is actually – it's – it's defined as um, the player, you, you cannot block outside the pre-blocking zone with forceful contact unless initiated with hands. And here's the thing. As an official, and I see this block happens, it's got to kind of meet three criteria, right? I have a philosophy. It's got to meet three criteria for it to be a, an illegal blindside block. First of all, it's got to be a defenseless player, right? they got to be out there in the open by themselves, defenseless. They don't know what the heck is going on or they don't see it coming. Right, that's the first thing. The second thing has got to be a new force. The player's got to go forcefully in another direction. Right, so there's got to be force involved. But if there's hands, if the, the the person blocking leads with his hands and hits that defensive player with new force, it is not a foul. But if he tucks his hands, right, and he hits him with his shoulder, mm. it is a foul. So 
people in the stands or on TV or they see these they see these uh, these fouls happen and they see the player go flying. If the blocker led with his hands, Josh, it's not a foul. Mm. But if he didn't lead with his hands, it is a foul. And I think that's the biggest misunderstanding is is that the hands piece. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of the lower your shoulder when a guy turns and you just knock his block off. Um, you know, with the, with the with the force of a shoulder upper body, whereas you know the hands can still be violent, but probably not so much so. Uh, you know, bringing the full body weight of a uh, of a potential blindside there. All right, so let's go to another call that is, uh, you know, often misunderstood or misinterpreted by fans, and that's holding. Yeah. So um, if I had a dime for every time there was a hold on a play, I'd be a rich guy. (laughs) So we could, as an official, we can call holding on every play, and I'm being serious. Every play we can call holding. So, again, as an official, you have to have a certain philosophy around holding. Because if not, it'd be 10 yards every play mm. going in the opposite direction. So what, we, what we're taught in Louisiana, I'm sure, in, in all the federation, using National Federation rules, is use of a philosophy. So we call a hold only at the point of attack. So let, let me give you an example. Um, so you have a sweep around to the right side, right? And that, that tight end uh, grabs, restricts, or holds that defensive end. And as soon as the ball goes around him along the right side, well, that's a hold, mm. right? But if that hold happened on the left side with that defensive end, it did not affect the play at all. There's no way that that defensive player could have could have made a play. I'm not calling that hold, right? But the coaches see that. The fans see that. All the players see that as a hold, but it didn't happen at the, at the point of attack. So, we have to, you know, call it when it makes a difference, and uh, I, I think that's one of the the hardest things about holding. And the kind of a lot of flack I get from coaches is that like, they oh, he was holding, he was holding. Well, yeah, but it didn't happen at the point of attack. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So, what's the most difficult call for a football official to make? Who? Uh, what to eat after the game? There you I'm go. kidding. So, um, I think probably the the most difficult call is pass interference, defensive pass interference. Um, that's the one, fortunately, within the last couple of years, we've got a, uh, we've gotten a, a, a lot better at that call because they, they've taken face guarding out. Remember, I don't know if you remember what face guarding is, right? So a defensive player just holds his arms yeah. up um, and not playing the ball. That used to be a, a foul. Now that's not part of the foul. And, and the reason that, that, that pass interference um, is so difficult because you've, you've really got to watch the defender and the offensive player. The rule states that both the offensive player and the defensive player both have an opportunity, in an equal opportunity, to go for the ball. Mm. I never call pass interference, and I was a back judge for 15 years. Never call it. If the defensive player turns his head, looks at the ball, and does not mess with the offensive player, you know, slapping his hands or right. pulling his jersey, and he goes for the ball and his head is turned to the ball, if they have incidental contact or they both go up, that is not a foul. It is a foul if his head is turned away from the ball and he's impairing the, uh, the offensive wide receiver to catch the ball. So it's difficult because you've got to see the whole play. If you catch half of that play, you might think it's defensive pass interference, but if you see the whole play, you might could rule the other way. And that's one that the fans in the stands uh, you know, uh, scream and yell about a, a lot as well. And those are such uh bang bang i mean there's so like you talk about there's so much that's going on in those calls that um you know i'm sure the the ire of of the uh of the stands come down on that one as well 
you guys host in New Orleans something called the Say Yes to Officiating Summit uh, each year. And this is a stat from 2018. But in 2018, uh, there was a survey that said 7 out of 10 new officials end up leaving officiating within three we- three years. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons to that. But, but one of those are, you know, probably the pressure of it is a big one, but it's also what probably goes into the toughest part of your job. And, and, and what do you, what do you think is the toughest part uh, of an official's job on a Friday night, Thursday night, whenever it is you're, you're, you're officiating a football game? Uh, What's that toughest part for you guys as officials? You know, it's, it's not the calls, right? I mean, we can make those. We're prepared. We take tests and we prepare, you know, six months in advance of the season. The hardest part is game management. And it's it's really the interactions between uh, the, the coaches, uh, majority of the time, really. Uh, Josh, it, it's changed, man. It, it's changed uh, so much within the last 15, 20 years. Just the game of football itself and the speed, right? But the demand that these coaches have to create winning programs, um, I've seen it in the coaches in the way that we interact, right? Um, accountability has shifted a lot of times from these players to the officials because these coaches' jobs are on the line. And, and it's nothing against the coaches, and I'm not saying they're doing a bad job. I'm just saying that the environment has changed. And so we hear it. We hear a lot of chirping. We hear a lot of the, this, that, and the other, a lot of uh, arguing against what we, what we call on the field. And as officials, I can see you get berated for an hour and a half to two hours. And, you know, you don't do this for the money. We're not mm. getting rich on this, right? Yeah, yeah. You do this for the love of the game. Sure. You might not want to come back. Yeah. Right? So it's a mindset that you got to get in there. So, look, these guys, they got a job to do. You, you do some preventive officiating at the very beginning of the game. Coach, you know what? I'm here to do a job. You're here to do a job. Let's try to get along. I'll communicate with you as much as possible. Set a good note before that game begins and just hope for the best. But the game has changed. The coaching environment has changed. The stress of the game has changed. And I can see – that, how that stat is true. If you have rabbit ears on the sidelines, you know you, you just got to got to key in and, and call in a good game and, and set the tone for the game at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so great information with regards to rule changes, uh, the different pieces of it as fans. Uh, Michael, twenty two years of of service to high school athletes, coaches, and and your community. We appreciate uh, what you do on Friday nights. Thursday nights, and like you said, you'll be taking a break this year as, as you got a couple coming up that are going to uh, don the uniform on the gridiron, and I'm sure uh, you're excited about watching them. We appreciate yeah. you taking some time here and joining us and educating our listeners, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Welcome back to Upon Further Review with your host, Josh Norman, on WJQS The Fan. Welcome back in upon further review. I want to thank Michael Vickers for joining us. Uh, great set, great couple of segments there on on football officiating, uh, new new rule, the rule change with regards to blocking below the waist, and uh, then just some other misinterpretations of rules, difficult calls that officials have to make, and uh, just a very informative couple segments there. So we appreciate him, appreciate John Weaver and uh, Kennedy Sanders joining us in the. In the first hour, Kennedy Sanders is a star in the making. Uh, that young lady has the personality. Uh, she has the ability. Uh, she's going to be unbelievable. Somebody to, to watch as they come through our state along with uh, Madison Booker at uh, 
at uh, Germantown High School who represented the under-16 team in, in uh, USA Basketball this summer. Um, we've just got some some very some incredible, uh, incredible athletes. Speaking of that, uh, Cohen Trollio, uh, golfer out of uh, Oak Hill Academy going to LSU, he was runner-up in the Junior Am this past weekend. Uh, from all indications, had a great opportunity to win it. Just couldn't get the putter hot at the right time, but he was runner-up there. Uh, just another way that uh, that these young people are representing the state in such a phenomenal way. And those are stories all over. They they exist all over, all throughout the state. And we want to try to bring as many to you as we can uh, throughout the show. And another thing, we want to take a minute and send our condolences uh, to the family uh, of a young man out of Brandon High School uh, who passed away in a tragic accident, um, I, I believe a, a fishing accident, played baseball at Brandon High School, uh, I believe his name was Nathan Griffith. So our condolences to his family, to the entire Brandon community, Brandon High School community. It's, it is uh, one of the worst things, and uh, we don't have any of the details surrounding what happened. We just know that there is a grieving uh, school family and a grieving family of that young man, and so our condolences and prayer uh, are with them uh, during what's going to be a difficult time as they rebuild from uh, from such a tragedy. So prayers and thoughts with them and the Brandon community uh, after that, that uh, tragic accident. As we move forward, um, thinking about, uh, look, we you know, talking about a, a big story in sports, and that is University of Oklahoma and University of Texas potentially joining the SEC at some point in the future. They did send uh, their letter in today. I'm sure that there are a lot of shows prior to this one that have talked about this a little bit, uh, but they sent their letter in letting the Big 12 know that they would uh, uh, not be uh, renewing their media rights agreement with the Big 12. And and all that means is that's their first step. That's step one. They notified. Uh, it doesn't indicate there is a, a clause in there that they have to give an 18-month uh, notice uh, in order to to leave. There is the potential in that that they could negotiate a shorter term. Um, certainly, you know, with some financial concessions, uh, there is a major buyout of 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 two years worth of uh, worth of potential revenues that equates to about seventy five to eighty million dollars per school. Uh, but when you look at that, you know, and what they're going to gain by going to the SEC, if you're those schools, that's not that big of a deterrent. Uh, but what it does is it it brings the conversation to something that's been building, and that is the the trust in the organization that is the NCAA. Um, I saw something where they spent $56 million fighting the name image likeness and then all of a sudden that dam breaks and they get behind it as if now we've had this, this you, you know, you spent $56 million as an organization, the NCAA, that could have gone to the improvement of things for athletes, but instead you fought them from having the ability to name image and likeness, to have the right to that. Um, and And so I think it's building to something bigger, and that is – I think you're going to super conferences, but more importantly, I think you're going to a scenario where specifically with football, uh, potentially all sports, but to, but to begin with with football, I think you're going to eliminate the NCAA at some point in the future. 
Um, you know, their ability to monitor and oversee a reputable organization, uh, they have failed. They have failed miserably. Uh, there are a lot of people that have profited heavily off of these schools and athletes. And look, the schools bear some responsibility in this as well because they have had significant resources that have been paying huge salaries to coaches, to administrators, to massive staffs um, that are needed to to have the school uh, in a good position to be successful as an athletic department. But now that the kids kind of have gotten a little bit of power, what I think you're going to find is that that you probably go to two to three super conferences and eventually those super conferences back out the NCAA uh, from at least football. Uh, you know, I don't know that you can do that for all sports, but, you know, certainly the NCAA is facing a situation here where they better uh, navigate the rapids, if you will, and change and adjust, or or they may be on the outside looking in uh, several years down the road as uh, as this super conference uh, idea takes place. I, I read where Jay Billis, um, you know, kind of went on record and said, hey, look, the ACC and the SEC need to go ahead and join forces and become a, a super conference. You know, and if you do that, think about the leverage that that conference would then have over the NCAA. You know, it's no longer eight or 10 teams. Now you have the leverage of 20, 22, 24 teams that, uh, you know, carry a significant brand in and of themselves each of those schools you know if you're if you're the FCC do you you know do you have 11 of the 15 uh, schools willing to vote for it you know certainly the reason that Texas A&M came over to the SEC was it gave them a competitive advantage you know in the recruiting world uh, they have started dominating the state of Texas recruiting because they play in the SEC um, you know if you're uh, you know, some of the other teams in the SEC, do you want two more, you know, perennial top 10 football programs now joining your uh, your conference with the likes of LSU, Alabama that have won, I think I, I saw where it was four of the seven, I don't know, last uh, four of the last seven uh, championships. It's been a dominant conference, and now you're going to add that to the mix and if you're some of the folks that have that have have been struggling a little bit, you know, if you're a Vanderbilt, are you going to vote for that? If you're uh, a Kentucky, are you going to go for that? And unfortunately, the question probably is yes, just simply because it's been estimated that just by adding Oklahoma and Texas to the mix would increase the uh, coffers of each school in the SEC potentially by upwards of fifty million dollars per year. And when you talk about what these schools are doing and how that would not only impact the sport of football, but but really across the board, every sport would benefit from that revenue windfall. And uh, and so it's definitely going to be something. What's going to be more interesting to me, though, is not if Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC. I think there's a lot of smoke there, and I think you're going to eventually see that happen. It may just not be those two schools. I think you may see some super conference activity in the next two or three years that that really you know will become a bigger story than just Texas and Oklahoma. That's the, the story to me. The story to me is you've got uh, what would be eight other schools within the Big 12 now that would have to find a place. And and, and I read an article today that that the Big 12 has been work has been operating off an exception by the NCAA to have a conference championship because the rule is you have to have 12 teams in order to have a conference championship. 
The Big 12 has 10, but the NCAA has given them an exception to continue to have a conference championship. Now you're down to eight, and who do you go get? Well, yes, you could go get Houston or SMU. You could jump Memphis in there. But 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 look, those are those are nice programs, but they don't bring juice to your conference. And if you're in Oklahoma State, or, or do you do you sit around and or, or, or do you go try to join up with with the Big Ten, or do you jump in over there with the Pac-12? You know, you're going to start seeing a lot of moving pieces. And in fact, there was uh, several reports that came out today that that all of the athletic directors within the Big Twelve. Okay, the eight remaining, the non-Oklahoma and and Texas athletic directors have all been positioning themselves over the past few weeks, trying to figure out what their value was to other conferences. And that's going to be the intrigue is, okay, yes, it's intriguing to understand what Oklahoma and Texas may do. Um, But more importantly, hey, what dominoes fall after that and where do your conferences end up uh, from the standpoint of um, of the teams that are left in the Big 12? And that'll be very, very interesting. You know, one of the things that interests me, one of the things that's held a program like Southern Miss back here in our state uh, is, is, is conference. Conference USA doesn't have the juice to push these sports to the next level, and, and it's become a conference that's been a little bit beaten down. And so is there an opportunity here for Southern Miss to find its way into the AAC or into a, a, a larger super conference type environment or maybe a higher mid-level environment that would give them a higher earning potential in their TV deals and at the same time a recruiting bump uh, as well as just a little bit more of a premier conference. So there's a lot of things that could impact. You know, you look at the SEC, yes, but there's impacts that fall all the way down to all of the other programs as well. So we'll stay tuned and pay attention to that. want to remind you, we are brought to you by Jerry Brewer, a trusted choice advisor with Southern Gulf States Insurance. Contact Jerry at 601-952-3525 or at southerngulfstates.com. When we come back, The judge will be holding court here on Upon Further Review. Further review with your host, Josh Dorman, on WJQS The Fan. Welcome back in. Upon further review. And uh, we welcome you. As you hear the Olympics playing. And for the judge. The judge is ready to hold court here on Upon Further Review. The pageantry of it all. The pageantry (laughs) of it all. The thrill of victory. (laughs) The agony of defeat. 
Well, what's my happening? Feet, the, the agony of my feet, buddy. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> what's happening this evening in the valley? Hey, just soaking the feet in the pool a little bit today. There you go. There you Getting go. A little sunshine. I tell you what, that's that's uh, what 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 are we what are we running there uh, temp wise? You know, we actually are sucking up a little moisture from your Gulf of Mexico, and we've had. Uh, actually a monsoons this last week or two with a lot of flooding and uh you know it's uh, been a little uh, dicey for a change which wow. uh, we always love you know after 100 straight days of sunshine yeah so uh yeah but enjoying a little humidity and uh, uh it makes me feel like home there you makes go me feel like i'm back in mississippi well let me tell you something it's only about 94 95 here but it feels like it's 110 and like you're in a sauna uh, so, Did you say 94 degrees, 95 percent humidity? I I remember those. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Where hey, you walk out, and you just start sweating with the old school pops and some days like that. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, so uh, we got a lot to talk about here over the next couple segments as the judge holds court as he always does each week from 7:30 to 8 here on Upon Further Review. And we're going to get started with uh, with the coaches' challenge. And, and who are you throwing the flag on tonight? Well, you know, I already had this thought based upon what I've been uh, looking at here, not only over the last week, but the last, you know, month or even you, you could break it beyond that. But, uh, you know, you, you opened up your show tonight uh, speaking about your latest experience with uh, youth sports. Youth basketball in particular, I believe. Wasn't that the case? That's true. I didn't actually get to hear you live, but yes. I know we talked about it. That's accurate. And, and uh, you know, I didn't I didn't pick up on all that, but I know, you know, the organizers uh, in youth, it goes, you know, everything we're going to talk about, it's always follow the money, Josh, for the most part, with, with the notes. But, uh, you know, I've dealt with, I've announced for a lot of uh, youth, AAU, all the way up through, you know, the uh, – 17U and all that stuff, but uh, a lot of these, especially in the younger ones, you got guys that are jumping in to this uh, industry, uh, kind of almost like carpetbaggers, I would almost equate them to, and they come in, they're not really organized, they don't really know, they don't have the fundamental foundation, what's best for the kids and how to do it, how to run a, a successful tournament, because we know the you get a couple hundred excitable kids in a small place, it could get hectic. But, yeah. uh, you know, even uh, deeper than that uh, is the uh, – those are the seeds of the culture. Uh, and w- what I'm doing tonight, I'm throwing the flag on uh, where I see uh, basketball culture in America going. And so we can start right from the youth, and I can take it right up to – uh, the other day's game with France and the USA and our and our team of superstars, uh, and so yeah, had that work out. Hey, anyway, I did call uh, USA into question last week, so I guess I'm going to tip my pat myself on the back on that. <laughs> but you know, Josh, my point is, uh, as you were talking about the fundamentals, uh, you really have to question uh, who our kids are looking to to model their games and not only their games, but how they live their lives. Uh, your young track star there, uh, Kennedy. Yes. Uh, what an amazing young lady. Man. And she was a great role model and example, not only for track stars, 
but for people on how to live their lives, mm. how to pursue what they really love. You know, if you if you love what you do, talking about adults specifically, you never work a day in your life. You right. know, right. Uh, and so these truisms hold true. She loves to run. Some people go, "Oh my gosh, I got to go out and run two miles yeah. today, or I got to run eight sets of hundreds, or what." She she loves it. She loves to feel the wind in her hair. That's why she loves the horses. So my point is, are are we as uh, parents and, and the leaders, whether we're coaches or organizers, are we really looking out uh, for the best interest of the kid? Are we really? Uh, want to pack the most kids and teams into the tournament, give them a poor experience. And then it goes to the coaches. When all these things are exploding, you got coaches that are teaching uh, these fundamentals or allowing the kids to pursue what they see on TV, you know, uh, nine and 10 year olds. And instead of working on uh, the mic and drill, making layups with ha- both hands from the other, both sides of the hoop, they're working on step back, Bobby Jack crossover, uh, uh, off balance uh, jump shots when they can't hit a free throw, right. or you know what I'm saying, they can't yeah. hit a straight up jump shot. Yeah, and they try to make them pass. Where uh, young coaches, we always teach them, uh, never leave your feet to make a pass. Right. Uh, so these kids, they never see that on TV, do they? Right. But what they're looking at are extraordinary world class athletes that have hang time, the uh, body control and strength and vision to make these crazy passes. I, I'm even shocked. And how many of them get through? Yeah. But I mean, it's a it's a fundamental nightmare. And kids are you know they try this, they get in too deep, they drive into traffic, and then they can't make a pass like that. So you know a lot of what we're patting ourselves. And then as you get older and, and you're starting to be at the uh, the cream of the crop, the top of the list, uh, then comes the adulation and the offers, and people are you know uh, skipping the rules, sliding by on what may be gone, by the way, as you were talking about, in terms of NCAA governance. But, uh, you know, and then it's uh, at the top of the food chain now. We have here the NBA and uh, as they're represented in the Olympics. Actually, I liked it when they had at least a couple of college guys, didn't you? Yeah, so so that what, was going mean, uh, to go get to my, to, my, to my next kind of thought there. And and it seems like what started to dominate the Olympics has, you know, the, the Olympics used to be so pure in its competitive world that that the Olympics in and of itself was the biggest of, of the big for all of these athletes. And then you got yeah. to a place where, I think you said it previously, follow the money. Well, now you have certain athletes, whether it's soccer players uh, you know, from the European soccer clubs making millions and millions of dollars, whether it's uh, NBA basketball players playing for their particular countries, making millions and millions of dollars, uh, that that now these leagues have become so big that they go to the Olympics and it seems smaller than the worlds that they came from. Whereas before, these Olympians go there and it's like this massive, it's it's the most unbelievable sporting event and so that change happened with the money, and it happened when professionalism took over the Olympics, which was originally intended to be an amateurism. It's the it's the best of the best representing your country. Um, and I think with that, you've seen people specifically here in the United States, they've kind of kind of pushed away from the Olympics. 
Uh, I saw where the opening ceremonies was a 16.77 million viewer, the, the lowest since 1988. But what do you have there to connect to? When you turn on the television, what are you watching? You know, I mean, you're watching the same people that you watch on television in the professional sports, and they've already made $40 million to play their sport. This is just something fun for them to do. And I'm not saying they don't care, but I just don't think it's at the level maybe that we used to see. And you, and you know what? It's a battle of the cultures. Like you said, for example, when the NBA rolled into the Olympics, I mean, they have their own personal accommodations, et cetera. But they rolled in their NBA culture. So here's what makes it so interesting is that uh, it is a battle of the cultures. If you look at Euroball, they are very much more of a fundamental game. They, they have bigs. Almost, I mean, look at France. Man, they were huge compared to us. And uh, that didn't hurt them. Uh, in the end, but uh, but they ha- they play more of a traditional game. They don't rely so much on athleticism. It's much more team related, and of course, these teams loyal to their countries. Uh, so I'm excited to see the battle of the cultures. Uh, USA zero, uh, the world or the field, as I called it, one yes. so far. And uh, you know, I love team basketball. That's what I grew up loving uh, the Celtics when I was a kid because right. somehow. Bill Russell, undersized, and his felt buddies uh, always somehow managed to beat Wilt and Walt Hazard yeah. and all, all the oh. Hal Greer, those guys from the Sixers back in the day. Big time. But, uh, again, it was the team basketball. It was the Boston Weave, the movement of the ball. That's right. Uh, that's what I loved about the Suns. They, they didn't quite make it. They were a little bit overmatched with the physicality. And the team play. You know what What a group of loyal guys yeah. and great teammates the Bucks are. Yes, indeed. All right, so we've got more upon further review coming back right after this. The judge holding court. We'll be back. Welcome back to Upon Further Review with Josh Dorman. If you'd like to participate in the show, give us a call at 601-366-1180. Welcome back in Garner Dental Group Studios, and we are ready for the final segment of the night. It's flown by. Uh, want to remind you, we're brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi. www.bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. We are in the Garner Dental Group studios, and it's been a spectacular show. And we have more content as the judge continues to hold court. And uh, we kind of finished off talking a a little bit about the Olympics. And uh, so that's going to move us now into your good call of the week. What you got for this week? You know, part, uh, Josh, of uh, learning how to channel your competitive nature uh, is to turn a perceived negative into a positive. You know, from pain comes passion in, a lot of times in life. And so tonight I was thinking about my calls, and, and I was kind of leaning in the negative and thinking about, you know, uh, the fact that I really flamed out uh, with my sons here last week and what was really a great, uh, a, a great final series. But, you know, I actually have to give credit where credit's due, and, you know, one of our loyal listeners and contributors on the show, Josh, through all our, our disagreements and uh, our banter is, is uh, the great champ. 
And I, I think uh, I have to give the good call of the week to Champ. I think he was the only one in the studio, uh, you, myself, uh, Bill, and, and a lot of the, uh, the viewing public, you know, the basketball fans, uh, looked like the Suns uh, were really a juggernaut, and they uh, they they really uh, were this year. But uh, you know, Champ was on it, and I, I, you know what he saw that I didn't see at the time. Looking back, was how the Bucks have uh, postured themselves through building the team. They've had Giannis and uh, Middleton. They brought them in together. They won 15 games first year. Most of the guys, you look at the Lakers, they had uh, Ingram. He's with the Pelicans. They had Julius Randle, uh, you know what I'm saying? They had Lonzo. They had so many guys they've run through that organization uh, in the last five years with top picks. And so that now in their second contract, they mature. They usually came out after one year. Uh, most of those guys, top draft picks. and But they never really mature when you draft a young player. It's often not until a team says, oh, I'm not sure this guy's going to make it. They trade him. He finally uh, grows into his game and, and matures. And, uh, and many times that's what the, you know, the case is. So the Bucks, they bucked that trend. They built, and they built on great character guys. Uh, and, and Champ saw their uh, ascendance, much like the, uh, the old uh, Pistons when Isaiah and them, they had to get through Boston. They didn't get through them the first time, maybe not the second time. They broke through. And then when the Bulls uh, broke through against uh, – and Jordan broke through against the Pistons, they beat him up. They beat him up, and then he came back with extra muscle and determination. And so looking back now, it's, it's quite easy to see that Milwaukee had matured, uh, you know, not only uh, as a cohesive team, but uh, they rode with them to mature physically – uh, they added the right pieces, another character guy, two guys, uh, Drew Holiday. And actually, once you get behind, beyond the crazy eyes, Bobby Portis yes. really is a, is a good man. And, you know, uh, Brooke Lopez, they had great team chemistry. And so kudos to Champ and the Bucks. his call. I was drinking a little of that uh, Arizona Sun Tea Kool-Aid, uh, and I gave a little bit too much to Josh there at <laughs> WJQF. But, hey, listen, it was a great series. Tip of the cap, champ. No doubt, no doubt, and we'll remind you of his of his uh, of his uh, text into us last week. Champ said, "Bucks are looking strong. They will become just the fifth team in NBA history to come back from 0-2 deficit to win the championship, and only the third to do so in six games." That was his call. That was the good call of the week. And hey, listen, uh, I, I was going to say before we get off this that uh, Giannis, uh, he's not a superstar. He's a superhero. Okay. Yep. Did you see some of the extension and the plays, the great block? And it, but, you know, I looked it up, and there is a DC comic that's now owned. It was created earlier, probably back in the 50s, The Amazing Plastic Man, and uh, that is Giannis Anadokupo. Yes, he is phenomenal and is, is becoming uh, the face of the NBA, which would be a good thing for the NBA for him to take that mantle from – uh, Lagon, LeBron, LeBrick, whatever it is that we're nickname we're going with tonight. Oh, <laughs> speaking of, uh, of that, what is the what is your uh, bad call of the week? Well, Josh, you know I have to say, even though we played the Olympic uh, song coming in, I felt more excitement when I listened to the song on the radio here just now. 
on WJQS that I did when I watched, uh, tried to watch some of the opening ceremonies. And I've tried to watch some of the early coverage of the Olympics. And not only, you know, is it uh, somewhat empty in its experience with no fans, there's no electricity. It's more like you're watching a practice session in many cases. It's just the athletes and the athletes and the coaches. But it's I got to throw the flag on 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 the whole the whole shebang. I'm going to call it the asterisk Olympics because uh, it is just so hollow. And and the worst of all is the the coverage by NBC. Uh, you know they you never know when you're going to watch what. I I bet there wasn't a. Two million people that watched the USA France live. I couldn't even find it till late the next day, and uh, so you know, I guess you can stream it if you want to get the NBC app, which I don't want. And therefore, you know, I uh, I'm just saying that that the coverage so far I have to grade very low. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a unique deal. Now I will say uh, the young lady from Australia against Ledecky for the United States in the 400-meter freestyle, lived up to all the hype. Uh, that was a phenomenal race, and uh, the young lady from Australia beat Ledecky, and I think that was the first loss for her in five years. Um, and so that was a, a, a big-time event. I got to watch that. Uh, the United States women's softball team has won, all, won back-to-back games on walk-offs. Beat uh, yes, Japan. against Japan yep. also, yes. Yep, and so uh, – you know, it's it's been a unique experience. You know, certainly I think when they plan these Olympics, you know, for, for us in the United States with it being in Japan, what is it, a 10- or 12-hour difference? So, so yeah. you know, everything's being played at a time when uh, when, when re- prime time there is, is sleep time here. So, uh, or it's wake up in the morning to get ready to go to work or whatever it is you've got to do. So there's a lot of challenges that have come with these Olympics and certainly the political uh, uh, climate here in our country uh, has also played a, a part in that. Uh, there's a lot of different things, a lot of different pressures that these athletes are feeling. I think uh, Simone Biles even came out and said it. The, the weight of the world uh, felt like it was on their shoulders. It's just a different feeling uh, for the Olympics this year with with COVID, with so many different factors that, you know, the people I feel for the most are, are the people that – the swimmers, the track and field stars, the gymnasts, where this is their, this is their Super Bowl. I mean, this is the biggest of the big for them, and 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 they haven't had the same experience maybe as as uh, as, as as in past Olympics, and uh, so for them, I, I feel a little bit uh, disappointed. But it is what it is. They still have the opportunity to go out there and compete and, and win a gold that, medal. That that is the bottom line, Josh. And so that you know, these kids and young adults that have dedicated their life, they it's not going to lessen their story to. You know what I'm saying? Persevere and to really qualify, get to this pinnacle. And so that, that I'm sorry, is, is somewhat being lost a little bit. Right. And so I'll try to uh, stoke up my uh, patriotic spirit here and, uh, you know, try to really root, root all our athletes on and really appreciate, like you said, the pure athletic competition of it. Yeah, because the ones that get lost are the ones that this is – you know, these, the, for instance, soccer, you know, men's soccer players, they're going to go back to their European clubs and make $40 million a year or $10 million a year, whatever it is. NBA players, the same way. Uh, but, but the ones that it really gets lost on are, are, are your fencers and your boxers and your, uh, you know, your, your uh, uh, swimmers and divers and, you know, handball, polo, all these things. Those are the things that really, uh, you know, bring that passion for the American spirit. 
Uh, and unfortunately, they've gotten caught up in a lot of things that were out of their control. Uh, but um, we'll see if we can find some good coverage on NBC. We'll see if we can continue to support the good old USA because it is the greatest country in the world. And as always, we appreciate the judge holding court with us here on Upon Further Review. We appreciate you joining us. Look forward to next week. You bet, Josh. Have a great week. USA. (laughs) That is the judge. He held court, as always, through the flag uh, and gave us his good call, bad call. I want to once again thank John Weaver. He is the head boys track coach and receivers coach uh, at MRA for joining us in the first hour, as well as Kennedy Sanders. Kennedy will be running in the junior nationals in Jacksonville in the 100 and 200. She is a upcoming senior at MRA and a phenomenal young lady and athlete. And so good luck to her. She joined us by phone as they traveled to Jacksonville uh, today. I uh, also want to thank Michael Vickers for joining us. Uh, Louisiana official with 22 years experience bringing us the rule changes, misinterpreted things by fans and the like. And as always, we want to leave you with this. Listen, we hope you'll join us 6 to 8 p.m. next week. I have another great show in store. Randy Watkins will be here for our hour of tea to green. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine on your face. And I will find it. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God bless and have a great week.